Most people would love to become financially independent and have work be optional, but is that realistic? Today, we're looking at the real scoop behind financial independence and whether or not it's the right path for you. Welcome to Simplify and Enjoy, the podcast and community focused on helping families have less stress and more options through minimalism and financial independence. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Find out how at bankbetter.org. One of the reasons I started Simplify and Enjoy is I felt like there wasn't enough discussion about financial independence and how that fits in when you have kids, especially young ones. I do believe that financial independence is really not about the money, but about the freedom. But the reality is you have to have a plan to get you there. Even if you do, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, a more lean version of financial independence, it's going to require a significant amount of money saved and invested. So what choices do we need to make as a family now to get us there? Helping me sort this out is today's guest, Jonah Kaufman. He's a financial advisor at Coastal Wealth Management. And while he's not here for specific financial advice, that's something you need to do one-on-one since everyone has unique financial circumstances, he is going over with me some things to consider and talk about as a family. In this episode, we're going to talk about four big myths and misconceptions people have about financial independence, two key numbers to keep an eye on for early retirement, and income is not one of them, believe it or not, and how you can create a fire plan that fits you. Let's get started. Okay, before we get into the how and the process, I want to talk a little bit about financial independence because you've probably seen the stories and you might have an idea of what it is, but sometimes I feel like what they highlight in the newspapers, online, I mean, it's great for a story, it's great drama, and I get why they pick it, but I don't think it gets the whole spectrum of the movement. And sometimes I feel like it discourages people from trying it out because they don't have similar circumstances to what's being highlighted. When you have high-income families saving 70% of their income, first of all, I say you should applaud them because they are keeping their spending in check. But I also think you should highlight other stories where maybe they have more modest incomes, but they're saving a significant portion of it. So I want to start off with that idea, the idea that you have to or need to be a high earner to become financially independent. The truth is, while income is a factor, it is not the deciding one for financial independence. Listen, if you're a dual income family with a healthy income, it's typically going to be easier and faster for you to reach your goals. But even if your income is closer to the average, you can still get ahead. That's because one of the core ideas of financial independence isn't necessarily your income, it's your savings rate. How much are you saving and investing each month? To get that percentage, you really need to be aware of what you're spending now. So the other number is what are your essential expenses? When I talked with Jonah, he talked about it as how much money do you need to be you? So how much money do you typically spend each year? What are your usual monthly expenses? Being aware of that and then your savings rate gives you a great starting place because then you can see, okay, we're saving this amount now and then build it up. 
The second misconception I see is financial independence is about never working again. The truth is, the more I speak with people in the community, different backgrounds, the kind of thread that connects us all is financial independence is about designing your life around what matters to you. And yes, there's a big subset of financial independence called FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. But financial independence itself is such a broad term. And even within the community, you're going to have different subsets. Some that I've seen are barista, where you've saved enough so that you only need to work a part-time job. And maybe it's for like a little supplemental income for travel or a little extra expenses. Or maybe it's for the benefits like health insurance. And then there's coast FI. And that's you reach a certain threshold with your saving and you're you're on target for your goal. But then you slow it down as a way in those years leading up to becoming financially independent to make it less stressful. You might switch careers and try different things. And then you talk about lean FI. That's where you saved enough to take care of your basic expenses. And then if you have lean, you have the other side. Sometimes they call it fat fire, where the lifestyle you have, it could be fully upgraded. You want travel. You like the nice things. You save up a significant amount to get you there. And by the way, these aren't formal definitions. There's no official dictionary for this. But these are just my general takes about what I see within the community. I have links to some of my favorite examples of each, but I thought this is actually something encouraging, especially for families, because you can see that you can craft a path that fits you where you are now and where you want to go. Another idea about financial independence that actually might be a turn off to you and, and other families is this idea that you need to be uber frugal. You have to cut things down to the bone to be able to retire early. And that's not the case. The truth is, however, with financial independence, it is a mindset shift. You absolutely have to be more mindful of how you spend your money. And that means you're going to make decisions that are different from other people. Yes, there are uber frugal bloggers like Liz from Frugal Woods and Pete from Mr. Money Mustache that people are really familiar with. But you also have like Kevin from Financial Panther and the Fioneers where they're not necessarily trying to be frugal for frugal's sake. They're being more conscious of how they're spending their money and how they're directing their time towards what matters to them. And then finally, there's this idea that you cannot become financially independent in a high cost of living area. I'm not going to lie. The truth is it is going to be a challenge if you're going to be living in a bigger city, but it is not impossible. You have to have a strategy to offset and minimize the typically higher housing costs, but there are also advantages to living in a large metropolitan area. Some bloggers that you might be interested in, Frugal Woods, they had started in Boston. You have City Frugal. You also have the pioneers that are based in Boston. And then also you have Zero Walking to Fire. She's in New York City. These are areas where it is very expensive to live, but it doesn't necessarily have to be as expensive as you think it is. So I hope that just kind of talking about financial independence and the different flavors and paths that you can take kind of encourages you and that you feel pretty good about maybe looking into this a little bit more. So I think you enjoy listening to my conversation with Jonah Kaufman about how, from a financial planning perspective, a family can work through certain key numbers and come up with a plan that fits them. 
Fiona, thank you again for joining me, um, especially talking about financial independence and investing. We have a lot of people in our community that are curious about this. They just finished off paying debt or they're, they see the light at the end of the tunnel and they're thinking right. about yeah, the next steps. This idea that if we could you know, retire early or have enough to take care of our essentials, you know, why don't we go for that? And that is a huge goal as a financial expert. How exactly would this work out? And I wanted to talk about that financial independence number. The formula that's given on the web is like you take your yearly spending and you're dividing it up by the safe withdrawal rates. I was, could you kind of break that down, what that would translate to for a couple interested in this goal? Yeah, you know, it's definitely a good place to start. I say to people and members that I sit down with, I say, what is your number? You know, what does it take to be you, whether that's on a monthly basis or an annual basis? And I'll tell you, it's not the easiest thing for people to to really pinpoint. So typically, you know, the easiest way is to back into it and to, you know, have some sort of budget, whether it's a spreadsheet or something that is going to tell you where your money's going. And mm-hmm. then you figure out, you know, from that standpoint, I can figure out what my spend number is. So then how do I translate that into understanding my financial independence number? And the translation, you know, is typically through defining, you know, with a projection or some sort of roadmap or some sort of plan, mm-hmm. what, your, what it will take to successfully meet your long-term goals. And we know what that number is, but maybe you're not going to have children's college expenses, or maybe you're not going to have the same expenses tomorrow as you are today. So defining that number is we do it in such a way that we create a financial plan. And mm-hmm. the financial plan allows us to do a roadmap. And many advisors have these tools and capabilities, but this roadmap will say based on how we're saving, based on a conservative to moderate rate of return. I don't mm-hmm. like using an aggressive rate of return to analyze or model future assets and then defining a savings rate. Once we're there, we can couple that with our spend and do that with more future values applied. So effectively, you know, using software is a good way, but that having that feasibility number in shorthand mm-hmm. is going to help you understand how much money do we truly have to have where we can draw the, a line and say, yeah, we can successfully retire. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's always a small number, you know, sometimes that number can be pretty big and, you know, it might be that you have your work cut out for you, but, you know, you've already defined certain goals in such a way already that you're okay, um, you know, just taking on this next hurdle so or next mountain to climb, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a, a few good points on that um, because financial independence, people hear this term, really is just this broad concept. There are people where they kind of subdivide it. I've seen lean financial independence, you know, lean F5, where they're just trying to save up a couple um, yep. where it's just the essentials, roof over their head, food, you know, the basics. So that still gives them the freedom. They know they want to work. They just want to have this freedom of, hey, the essentials are taken care of. I can explore a new career, maybe take off for travel and know that at least my basis is covered. And then you have others who 
they love what they live in a high cost of living area, you know, or they have a certain yeah. lifestyle that when they review the numbers again, got to know your numbers that they see, okay, well, we're going to have to shoot for a higher number because we're not willing to give up this lifestyle. So to that extent, um, you know, it is defining those. And when I say backing into it, it's a little bit easier by creating a list, but, you know, and typically a spreadsheet, if you're a spreadsheet person, is easy to make a one column that is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. leisure, you know, required spending, but going more into that. What if it's Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon, or whatever, you know, your month, where your money is going monthly, getting as granular as possible to really try to define what that is. And then when you sit down or when you're looking at it, there may be things that you say, well, this will probably change because I, again, I use tuition because that's an easy one, but maybe I don't have that tuition payment in the future, et cetera. But having that number in a way, just knowing your spending number is, mm-hmm. is the, is, I'm going to say it's the first step towards financial independence, but it's a very large step knowing what it takes to be you mm-hmm. and, or what it takes to be your family. And so from there, you know, those essentials, which are the have twos, you can really start to narrow those down to your utilities, your groceries, your, gas and you know your mortgage payment um but once you have those in a separate column then you then define what's left over at the end of a month for me to then build in to begin to maybe putting back to do things like you mentioned retire early does that make sense yeah that that makes complete sense and i think a lot of people kind of get excited with the end point and they they have to like you say back up into it which is okay if this is where we want to go what does this really mean um it means we have to be aware of what our spending is and then also what our savings rate currently is and where we need it to be if we have a time limit you know some people say well as long as i retire early i'm happy um and then some people are like well hey i've seen online it's you know can i want to do 10 years too well that is going to be significant savings rate um, but I did want to talk to you since you are the subject matter, matter expert about specific numbers, uh, that safe withdrawal rate. I've seen it. Some people talk about yeah. the, the 4% rule. Can you explain what exactly that means? And then I've seen some debate where people are like, well, that's not exactly a concrete number to go by. You might want to be even more conservative. I'd love to get your take on it. Yes. So the safe withdrawal rate, it comes from this notion that stemmed from just the idea of a general withdrawal rate. Um, as I've, as it's been explained to me, the back of the napkin approach was that financial advisors may help someone understand their ability to withdraw funds um, by taking 4% of their liquid net worth or, three, or a percentage of their liquid net worth and defining that as the amount that they could safely withdraw between the risk tolerance, dividends and interest coming into the portfolio. But, you know, that being the case, the idea was built on a 4% rate. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, 4% is, that's a number that, again, was very much a generalization. Okay. Now, uh, most of the time, savers 
they they want to make sure of two things. One, that they have the money to live on if it's retirement or for a certain goal, but two, they don't outlive their money. And so what we found is that, you know, as 4% seems, and in some cases, some people may say ambitious or not, mm-hmm. we found that, you know, it might be really indicative to the specific saver. And it comes down to what we were talking about earlier about knowing your number, but it also comes down to the fact that, you know, withdrawing less from something probably means that there's going to be more of it to grow or to compound and grow in the market. So, you know, whether you use a model that mm-hmm. defines a standard deviation, we have found at the credit union that typically our savers, our most successful retirees rate falls between 3 and 4%. Some folks may be closer to 3% because they have income attributes like a mortgage or rather like a rental home mm-hmm. or a pension that doesn't require they take as much out of their savings. Other folks may not have that pension, but they may have rental income and social security so they can safely take money out, but it's closer to 4%. But certainly the 3 to 4% is what we see every day mm-hmm. um, as an appropriate range. but you know, it's not something where I think we would say, if we say this is an endorsement, it's either three or 4%. We would say that might be a rule of thumb, but, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly there are ways, you know, using financial planning tools to really calculate what your safe withdrawal rate is. Yeah. And this is definitely something I would suggest if couples are serious about this and they want to set up a plan is to meet with professionals like you, where you can look at the whole picture and talk with them about their individual situation. So I know we kind of did a high level overview of financial independence and kind of the numbers that work, but I do appreciate you taking the time. Special thank to Jonah for being a part of this show. If you live in the Triangle area and you want to have more personalized help with your own financial plan, whether it's financial independence or another goal, please check out Coastal. They have a wealth management team that are happy and eager to help you reach your goals. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can contact them, as well as resources that we mentioned during this episode. You can go to simplifyandenjoy.com. And next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about keeping healthcare expenses in check. It's usually a huge drain on a family's budget. So we're going to see if there are ways that we can make sure that your family's covered while still keeping things affordable. So if you don't want to miss out on an episode, make sure you're subscribed. The music in this episode was provided by Lee Rosevere. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so much for the support. If you have a question that you want me to have covered here on the podcast, let me know, l at simplifyandenjoy.com. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.